0: We're in a series right now called "The Cost," and uh, it's an interesting series to talk about because, um, for years and years and years and years and years, I did uh, student ministries, youth ministries. That was kind of my jam. That was my lane. I love uh, uh, working with teenagers. Uh, there's nothing like an army of of teenagers who are excited to go make some change. And uh, begin to impact their schools and their neighborhoods and their lives and their and their families and uh, and for years and years I I, I did that and <clears throat> and I realized that you know I've had I've had this incredible privilege whether it was during student ministries or whether it was uh, uh, outside of student ministries uh, working with, with adults or or uh, men or any of those areas that I've had this incredible privilege to stand in front of people and share the story of Jesus. And, and I've had many opportunities to invite people to engage with that story. It's been one of the great privileges, one of the most humbling things in my life to be able to do that. And I am nervous that for some of us, the story we heard when we had the, the story told to us about Jesus was, was woefully incomplete. And it was with good intentions that the story was woefully incomplete. It was with good intentions because there's nobody I know who I don't want to know Jesus, There's nobody I know who I don't want to know Jesus. And because of that, sometimes I can, in my own flesh, try to package Jesus in a way that's more malleable to someone because I don't want anyone to be anti-Jesus. And so what ends up happening with even the best of intentions is sometimes we tell people about Jesus and we're selling something like a salesman instead of inviting someone to know someone who's alive. And so we flip into salesman mode, and it's like we're standing around a car, and we're kicking the tires. We're like, lots of miles left on this, right? Oh, she's trustworthy. She'll get you there. All four cylinders are firing away. My first car had three. All three cylinders. She'll get you there and we we talk about our faith and we talk about the christian experience like we're trying to sell it to somebody and then they begin to go on that journey with us and suddenly they're like hey some of these things are a little more challenging i thought the moment i started following jesus things were going to start falling into place in such a way that i wasn't going to have any more financial struggles i wasn't going to get sick I wasn't gonna deal with these urges that I'm still dealing with. I wasn't gonna have this addiction that I'm still battling with. All my relationships, I thought those things were gonna just fall right into place. I thought my living situation was gonna be locked up now because I'm following Jesus. What you told me when I kicked the cars, the tires on this car, all these things were gonna fall into place. And with the best of intentions, we've talked about a, a, a Jesus who just doesn't exist in the scriptures. And we've said a story that isn't the story of who Jesus is. Is there awesome and incredible things about following Jesus? Yes. Are there amazing promises in the word? Yes. But how often do we just walk over the idea that there is a partnership and a cost and a role that we play walking with Jesus? And it affects some things. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about these individuals that walked up to Jesus, and he invited them just like he invites you, just like he invites me to follow him. We were in Luke chapter 9, and they came to follow him, and he says, do you understand that, that I'm homeless, that I sleep and my head's on a rock? Do you recognize that the person that you're calling Savior and teacher that you want to follow doesn't know where his next meal's coming from right now? Have you considered that following me is not about making your entire life comfortable? And he challenges him. And we talked about some of those challenges. Last week, Pastor Isaac was here. It was amazing. He talked about Joseph's ladder. But he talked about this idea that everywhere we go, we bring with us Jesus. And there's pressure to that. And there's a cost to that. And it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to remember that. And then this week, I want to talk a little bit about the idea that when we declare our faith for Jesus. Now, several weeks ago, when we were in 2 Timothy, we talked about not being ashamed. And not being embarrassed about our story and how the whole world wants you to be embarrassed about your story if you're a follower of Jesus. Don't tell that story. This week I want to talk just a little bit about this pressure to really live our faith out in front of people. And how clear Jesus was that we didn't have permission to shrink back, hide who we were when we became followers of Jesus. And i got to be honest with you, sometimes I don't like taking my faith public. And I'm pro, I'm a professional, and sometimes I don't. You know when I don't want to take my faith public? The moment I step on an airplane, I have to jump on airplanes for little trips all the time, and and, and do some some of those things. I, and 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 I get on an airplane, and you know the, the first thing I think about. Let's put my headphones in really quick, so no one, my like, do not disturbs in right, because there's no worse conversation when you're emotional, when you're traveling, when you're running behind, you're trying to get things done, and you sit down, and Bobby looks at you and goes, Hey, so what do you do for a living? You can't sugarcoat what I do for a living. It's not a short conversation most of the time, and when it is short, it's even worse. (laughs) There's nothing like a short, oh, you're a pastor? Okay, let me open this magazine. Let's see what they're selling in the Sky Mall today, right? You know that conversation's awkward. That moment's awkward. But it's a challenge for me sometimes. I've been challenged in just simple moments like that. What do you do for a living? Man, if I'm challenged with that, then I know you get challenged when people ask you about your faith, about what you believe, about do you have time to go into that conversation? Are you ready to to, to stand? I'm pretty good at articulating what I believe. I can't imagine the tension of that. I'm not totally sure how to even articulate it, but this is what I believe. It can be a challenge to stand up and say, some of the most powerful conversations I've ever had have been on airplanes. I'm just saying. I think about in our day-to-day lives when our faith gets outed. Just this weekend, I had a knock on my door. Very sweet little family, dressed to the nines from another faith, standing at my door wanting to talk to me. That's a convenient time to not tell someone what you do for a living. I'm in like ripped shirt shorts we're doing laundry i got mountains of laundry like i'm just busy doing my chores and my life and here comes this sweet little family to my door and they want to talk about what i believe that's a very convenient time to not stand up for what i believe after a too long conversation my wife comes over she's like you're so nice (laughs) how can you be so nice i'm like i live here (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to see these people at Walmart (laughs) I remember it was so sweet they had a little boy and he starts reading from Psalm 1 and he reads, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he stops. And I'm like, and he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Whatever he does, he prospers. Not so. I'm like giving him the rest of the verse. And, and we're, we're, we're talking. It was a great conversation. And you know what? The law of kindness just rules every time. You want to know the easiest way to just let your faith go public? Never forget that our goal is kindness. And that kindness is what leads people to repentance. If you start with kindness, you can get a lot of traction in just about any relationship and any conversation. But we struggle with that. It's hard to go public. It's hard to be at work. Everybody's doing something you know you shouldn't do. And be the one who's like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to engage in that gossip. You know, I don't think we should be talking about that person. They're not here. Who's had that conversation at work? That'll get hot real quick, right? It's hard sometimes to take our faith public. It's hard, and there's a cost to it. No one told me it was going to be hard to take my faith public. And then I went into my high school, and it got hard. I told you guys, I got a pretty lame nickname. I was Church Muffin. I went from the guy that got into fights to Church Muffin. And you know why? Because they believe that Church Muffin would get me back into fights. And so I'm carrying my cross. And it says Church Muffin across the back. No one wants that identity thrown over them, drawn into this fight. But what are you going to be? Are you going to stand for what you say you stand for? Are you going to carry that cross daily? or Are you going to blacken one eye and it goes away? It's a challenging, challenging thing with our neighbors, at your school, at your job, in your social group. Do people know who you are, what you stand for, what you believe? Is it overflowing out of your life? Do you know who you are, what you stand for, what you believe? So we're in the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can jump to Luke. Uh, I'm going to jump to chapter 14. And it's been this incredible journey that Jesus has been on. He's gathered disciples. He's sent them out. They've come back. He's told the story. People are beginning to experience this incredible relationship with him. In Luke chapter 9, we noted that there's a pivot, and Jesus starts moving towards Jerusalem. He is on a date with the cross. He knows it's coming. And on the way, crowds come, and then crowds disperse. He's traveling. Largest crowds have come. Sometimes they've stuck around. Sometimes they've left. He's moving from city to city. Some of these are very small villages, uh, like little villages in Samaria. And he shows up and says, can we stay here? And, and they say, no, there's too many of you. We don't want you. And he moves on. It's why he articulates, we don't have a place to sleep. You know, he was, wa- he was walking with the disciples. There was at least uh, 12 uh, of them. We know that there was an, on, uh, an entourage a little bit deeper than that of some close friends and relationships. We know the 70 was with them who he sent out and came back. There's probably 80 or so people minimum walking with Jesus at this time. And he's moving from place to place, and he's relying on hospitality, and he's interacting sometimes with uh, very challenging groups, sometimes with groups that are very compliant and receptive towards him. And so here's Jesus. And in Luke chapter 14, we see this incredible picture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase the front half and then jump ahead. He sits down to eat with, uh, with some religious leaders Now, their etiquette won't allow them to deny him hospitality. It's the Sabbath. And so they're resting and they're eating. And he notices that there's someone there who's got swollen legs and has a problem and difficulty walking. And he challenges their religious spirit. He says, is it okay to heal this guy on the Sabbath? And they look at each other like we don't have an answer for that, because if we say no, we're not compassionate. If we say yes, we're not law followers. So our best option when we don't know what to say is to say nothing. And Jesus, again, teaching that the law of kindness is what, what guides and directs his hand, heals him. They, you decide to hold that against him. Then he begins to teach them and he says, he says, okay, I see we're at this table here and every table that's set up this way has some spaces of honor and you guys have positioned yourselves according to rank. Most important here, next important here, last important here. And we've, we've come here. There's a lot of people with me, but the table is only laid out according to positions of honor. And so he challenges them on their whole paradigm of how we respect and treat people. And he says, this isn't, this isn't how it works in the kingdom of God. And he goes, let me tell you a story. There's a guy, and he throws a banquet. And he throws a big party, and he invites all the guests of honor. And the guests of honor make a bunch of excuses. Their excuses are pretty lame. I got a work issue. I got an investment that didn't go well. I'm recently married, I got marriage issues. They have all these reasons why they can't come and celebrate at this banquet, which is their, uh, they're entitled to. And there's all this jockeying of position for a position of honor. And he blows the whole thing open. He says, stop worrying about positions of honor. Just walk outside and tell anybody who will listen. There's food here. There's a place for you. You can come. He says, bring in the poor, bring in the disenfranchised, bring in everyone who wants to come and fill the room with people who want to be there, not who are jockeying for positions of honor. So this religious group hears this and they're, they're living in this tension. And you can imagine the other side of the room, some 70 or 80 people, none of whom are being afforded these positions of honor, kind of smirking, kind of like, Whoo. Psst. score one for the good guys, right? In their face, here's Jesus like, you guys are jockeying for positions of honor, won't even accept this incredibly free thing that's given to you. So I'm gonna give it to everybody else. Ah, home team wins. And then he turns, and the conversation pivots. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So he's, he's there with these large crowds. He's just had this conversation about how every single soul is invited, that the banquet is open, the Father set the table, we can all come. And he turns to them and he says, he's got all these crowds, he turns to them, he's like, listen up. If anyone comes to me doesn't hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yeah, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Uh, Jesus, that's not a great lead, uh, like opening. I would never open a sermon that way. I'm just being real with you guys. That's not my opening line in any message. That's a rough opening line. Jesus has just got done teaching that every single soul, no matter what your background, your socioeconomic background, your ethnic background, your, your, whatever your deal is, you're all invited. And then he turns around to this group who's all invited and the crowds are getting bigger. He's like, you're coming after me, okay. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Do you hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers, sisters, and even your own life? Because if not, you're not gonna be able to keep following me. Woo. I'm in Luke chapter 14. It's verse 26. I'm not making that up. You should go look at it. What do we do with that talk? That's rough talk. This is a creator of the universe who was just all compassion, who just went to a room full of religious elitists and said, you guys are are hogging positions of honor that are available for any single person who will respond. And then people respond, and he's like, just so you know what you responded to. (laughs) Do you hate your mama? Those are fighting words, right? Like where I'm from, you can't start a conversation like that. That's worse than church muffin. You can come after me, but don't talk about my mama. We're going to have problems, right? So here's Jesus, and he's like, What? What the what? So here's Jesus. What is he doing? I can tell you right off the bat, the best way I know how to say this is he's beginning to sift between the faithful and the fascinated. He's saying, Who really wants to come and follow me? And who just thinks, This is pretty cool? There's a lot of people here. Sometimes someone gets healed, sometimes there's a miracle. Sometimes a life gets changed. I like seeing what's going on. This is awesome. Like this is better than ESPN. This is better than, you know, this is better than whatever other thing that was the entertainment. This is entertaining. And he begins sifting who's faithful and who's just fascinated. Who goes, man, that band is awesome. Clint rocks. And who is actually interested in pursuing a relationship with Jesus? Now, I'm going to give you a short version. I could spend a lot of time unpackaging all this stuff. I'm going to give you a short answer to your tension because you're all feeling tense right now because you're like, but I don't hate my mama, so I guess I'm out. Some of you are sitting next to your mama and you're like, eye contact forward, eye contact forward. <laughs> don't look to the left or the right. Sorry, mama. This is part of kind of this Eastern culture and way of speaking. There's some things here that you have to understand and they're nuanced. There's a lot of uh, uh, big talk in order to make a point, sometimes very Heavy illustrations, but let me give you the 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 core of what he's trying to say here. He's trying to say if you're not so committed to me, if your love for me isn't so great that by comparison, your love for everything else looks like hate, then you don't really love me. Let me give you an example because we do this all the time. I'll pick something you guys hate so it's easy. I love the Niners, (laughs) right? I love the Niners. I got Niner gear. I I, I love cheering for the Niners. A lot of my best memories as as a kid were watching us celebrate championship after championship after championship after championship after championship. Like, I love the Niners, right? But if you were to take my love for something that's good, that's great, the Niners, and compare it to my love for my kids, by comparison, this looks like hate. The, the cap on this love is nowhere in the same conversation as my love for my kids. It's not even the same thing. It's the same word. It's the same principle, but it doesn't even measure on the same scale. And Jesus makes this over-the-top illustration to catch this attention of this crowd who are like, we like this guy. He busts up on the on the elite. He has no problem speaking truth to power. We love that idea, right? He goes right to the powerful and he's like, you guys are jockeying for position. You won't, you know, you care more about if your if your uh, oxen falls in a hole than if a person's harmed if it gets in the way of your religious beliefs. He's like, we love a guy who just uh, puts his finger in their face and doesn't back down. That's awesome. We're all excited about it. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And he's like, wait a second. Are you just fascinated by this, by this thing that you see happening? Are you faithfully open to following me? Because if you are, the love you have for me is going to be on a scale that's so high that nothing else will even compare to it. I got to keep moving. We're never going to get done. I know the first time I had to deal with this. Some of you are here today. I I can't, I I gotta move, but I can't move on because it's it's too important. Some of you are here today and your faith in Jesus has cost you relationship with family members. There's people who are family, maybe moms and dads even, maybe brothers and sisters, maybe cousins. And your relationship with Jesus, your willingness to stand for Jesus has cost you relationally with them. They said, I don't, I, I can't subscribe to that. I think that that means this. And I think that you're this if you do that. And it's cost you that. So it's not as abnormal as you would think to imagine that because you can put yourself in that situation a little bit, right? Some of you, you yeah, be careful. I'll just say it. Some of you have family members who are professing faith, but their style and approach is a little bit different than your style and approach. And that's enough to rip the whole thing apart. And Jesus is saying, your faithfulness, to me, has got to be the thing that supersedes every other I'll stop right there, otherwise i get stuck here. Uh, Where am I at? Verse 27? Man, I'm not far at all. Okay, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And we talked about this in Luke 9. He mentioned the same idea. He's constantly telling the crowds that you will be required to take your faith public carrying your cross was a public thing it invited shame and tension and pressure people knew if you were carrying your cross that you were marked for to be condemned to death it would be like walking around with an electric chair on your back it would get people's attention and he says, if you're not willing to carry your cross, that metaphor is very clear. If you're not willing to publicly partner with me, even though it cost you your life. He says, if you're not willing to go public, you can't be my disciple. I'm gonna go quickly through these couple of illustrations because I wanna land the plane and get to baptism. Verse 28, he says, so suppose, this is the same conversation he's still preaching. This is a great message. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the what? Ooh. I didn't think it was going to cost me anything to follow Jesus. He says, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone will see and ridicule you. He says, you're going to be public either way. Everyone will see and ridicule you. And they'll say this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. They'll say, this guy started with Jesus and wasn't able to finish. He says, if you are really in, then you should take the long look at what this means. How will your life have to be different? How will your relationships have to be different? How will your financial per picture have to be different? How will your resources and your time management have to be different? Have you considered the cost? Do you realize that it is gonna be a lifelong journey of learning and growing and kindness and loving others? Do you realize that that is all part of the package? And if you don't sign up for that package, eventually you'll tap out and people will see and go, look at that guy, he was never serious about Jesus. Look at her. She professed. She got in my face and told me I had to live right. Look at her. She didn't even keep living right. Jesus says, don't do that. I wanted to give you some history about towers that fell at that time. They all were familiar. There was a Colosseum about three years before that about nine kilometers north of, uh, of Rome had collapsed. And so it was a common story in, his, in this era that, that you don't start to build something. And what happened was they ran out of money, so they went cheap. And 20,000 people died. 20,000 was one of the greatest uh, collapses and uh, and deaths that ever happened. Um, And Attilus was the guy. He got banished from Rome. It's AD 27. You can look it up. All that to say, they understood Rome had imposed for the first time some protocols. If you were going to build something, you had to have enough money to complete it before you started so that you can build a proper foundation. And they had to basically, it's like the first working permits. It's the first time the county got involved. Come on now. So they knew what he was talking about. Basically, he's saying, hey, did you pull permits before you made a decision to follow Jesus? Did you take a look at what was going to be required? Did you know you're going to have to put an elevator in and and it's going to have to be monitored? It's going to be a lifelong commitment of paying the elevator company over here before we build this building. Did you guys know that? By the way, that's a thing. That's really irritating. (laughs) But it is. And the elevator breaks like every year so far since I've been here not like breaks down, like it'd be scary to get in there. It breaks because it doesn't get used hardly at all. And it needs to get used. So every time you walk by the elevator, you have my permission, just press the button. The more, honestly, the more it gets used, the less it breaks down. That's free. That's actually helpful for me. All right. (laughs) Where am I at? I'm getting lost here. Come on, church. Help me out. What verse, 31? 31, let's preach. All right. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Oh, this is so good. He says, won't he first Sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with him, at him with 20,000. If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who don't give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus could not be any clearer, guys. He goes to the people who he's invited. He says, all y'all are invited. Everyone's invited. You're invited. You're invited. Like Oprah's got nothing on him. You get eternity. You get eternity. You can have eternity. It's available for all of you. Everyone's invited. However, let me just make sure you know when you take a step towards me where that's eventually gonna lead because I don't have a place to lay my head. I want you to understand that I'm headed towards the cross, that this is going to end in a bloody mess. And what I'm promising you is so much better than anything you might ever face here. But I'm not promising you won't ever face anything things here. He says, he says things that are crazy, like, like don't worry about it when they persecute you because they did that to me first. Right? Don't worry about it when they, when, they, when they say all kinds of false things against you. They did that to all my prophets. You're in good company when they do that. That's going to be your new normal. He said, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. That's a horrible illustration for us. I've never seen a sheep and wolf fight that went good for the sheep. (laughs) Where's that example? It doesn't go well. But he says, I'm your good shepherd. Your hope and trust is going to have to be in me. So why are we selling something different that there's, it's not going to be any work? Just say, just say a simple prayer. Can I just be honest with you? I can't find the simple prayer anywhere in this book. I keep looking for the simple prayer where Jesus says all you have to do is say a simple prayer and then nothing in your life has to change. Just make sure you buy your insurance. Instead, every time I see people decide to follow Jesus, it says, repent. Turn away from the life you were living. Move towards Jesus. It says, get baptized. Take your faith public and receive the Holy Spirit. And you'll be saved. We don't talk about that very much, do we? that's That's the conversation. Time and time again, make a decision because of what Jesus did to turn from where you were going. Take that decision public and then receive God's gift, the Holy Spirit. He says, that's how you get saved. And we've so sanitized that so it could be easier because we don't want anyone to think, oh, man, you might have to actually change your behavior. See, don't worry about it. You could do all the same things you did before, just plus Jesus. It's like fire insurance. It's the best. And we're just giving it away. Look under your seat right now. There's a certificate of Jesus' fire insurance. No, there's not. Don't do that. All right? But we've missed that this invitation is to go on a journey with him and that this journey is heading somewhere and we should pay attention to the cost. And he looks at the crowd time and time again. He says, have you even paid attention to where this thing is going? Are you just fascinated by how cool it is to be in a big room and have someone like me yell at you for 20, 40 minutes? He ends the thought like this, and it's hilarious. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's not fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears, let him hear, and this is really hilarious. Jesus is talking about salt, and we know some things about salt. Salt's this incredible preservative. In a time when you don't have refrigeration, salt is the difference between something preserving and having life and value and something being trash. And he says, you're salt. Time and time again, you keep this thing preserved. You bring life to something that would otherwise fade towards death. You stop the process of death in the world. You're literally salt. You have impact. That's awesome, and it's good, but... If you start being salty and then you unplug because the cost gets too high, because you're not willing to go public, because you don't want to be associated, he goes, it's, that's the end for that. It's just not salty anymore. Once everybody's laughing at the tower that didn't get built and you changed and you walked away, he says, he says that's not a good look. What am I supposed to do with that, Jesus basically says, He says, you're following me right now, that's awesome, but if you're not in all the way and you're gonna walk away when this thing gets hard, I don't know what to do with you. This is tough on me as a pastor. Can I just be honest with you? I'd much rather just like land on on love your neighbor, which is incredibly important, love God with all your heart, which is the whole entire mission. But loving God with all your heart looks like something. There's a journey that's there. Loving your neighbor costs you something. And Jesus says, Listen, I'm not impressed with the numbers. I'm not impressed. He's not impressed that the crowd's gotten big. We're impressed whenever the crowd is big. I like when the room is full. I just feel better. My afternoon Sunday nap is much smoother when you guys show up. I'm just saying, that's real talk from the preacher, okay? I love when you guys are here. But Jesus says, Some of you are in the room and you're not interested in going all the way. I don't really know what to do with you. And what does he say? This is a burn. I just want you to catch this. He says, it's not fit for the soil or the manure pile. He says, I can't throw it on the ground and just pitch it out because if you throw salt on the ground, it kills whatever's there. He goes, you'll ruin the soil. And then, I'm just telling you, he says, if I had a pile of manure and you were on my pile of manure... I would tell you to get off and stop ruining my manure. (laughs) This is what Jesus says. He goes, you're not fit because I can make something of manure. There's some possible use for it. If you're following me, but you're not in to go the long distance, I don't really know what to do with you. That's harsh, but it's true. Those are words that are written in red. That yellow up there, that's red. Because if I put it in red, you couldn't see it. He says, I don't, I don't have anything for you if you're not in all the way. I don't have anything for you if you're just checking it out. If you're just fascinated and you like being in the crowd, you're all invited. Everyone can come. But I don't have anything for you if you're not in. I don't know what to do with you. I, if I threw you out, you'd ruin the ground. If I threw you in the manure pile, you'd, you'd, you'd make poop contaminated. Like, that's a harsh spot to put people in, but, he, and this is how he, this is the message. It's over. He's done preaching here. It isn't, so say a prayer and get your life right. He's saying, make a decision. Make a decision. He wants us to take our faith public. So how do we take our faith public? That's the question. And today we're going to do one of the ways that we take our faith public, and it's baptism. It's baptism. It's baptism. I'm gonna give you just a couple verses about baptism and then we're, we're gonna be there. We're gonna land the plane. Uh, Romans chapter six, verse four. It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, uh, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He says, listen, we get baptized and it's, it's an outward sign of saying, hey, we're willing to go down into the grave, be dead to our old self, just like you. This is the end of the journey, right? This is the side of the cross. We're going to go down. So, so it symbolically means we're going to go down into the water, saying that's the end. That's a wrap for the way we were living, the direction we were going. And we are going to come up and live a new life just like Jesus. Colossians 2.12 says, having been buried with him in baptism, this is Paul teaching, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. He says, baptism is just how we say we're done messing around. We're moving from, come on now, fascinated. We're moving to followers and to faithful. So how did the early church respond to this? I'm gonna gonna land the plane, I think, right here. It says, therefore, in Acts chapter 2, if I had time, I'd take you all through some of the incredible things that are happening in Acts chapter 2, but the church is just about to explode. The Holy Spirit's descended, the, the, uh, the apostles are uh, preaching, and Peter's preaching, they've received the Holy Spirit, there's tongues of fire, they're speaking in languages that, that were uh, uh, not known to them, but were known to the crowd, so the crowd is able to hear each in their own language, this incredible story and testament of who God is. The Holy Spirit has showed up, and then Peter stands up, and he's Like, you guys have to know something. Jesus, the guy you crucified, who we all knew, went to the cross, went to the grave, escaped the grave because he's God, was born again. And many of us here in the room saw it. And that's who we put our faith in. And what he's done is now accomplished that we can have relationship with God the Father. He is God. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. And I love the pressure of this. They're still in Jerusalem. Many in the crowd would have been there yelling out, Crucify him! And now they're on the other side hearing a message that, that, that this is who he is God in a body, in the flesh. Paying the price of sin so we can be forgiven and restored to relationship with him. And it says when the people heard this, Acts 2.37, they were cut to the heart. It cut them right in the heart. They were like, oh, we're the same guys who were over here saying, crucify, crucify. And now we're over here going, oh, no. Oh, no, we've missed it. And it says they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers what do we do? What shall we do? Our whole life up until this point was pointed one direction, and now we're aware of who God is and what he did. What is our response? And so Peter replied, repent, here it is, get baptized, how many of you? Let's read that together. Repent and get baptized, what? Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, every one of you needs to do it. Now listen, I'm going I'm to leave here in just a second, and we're going to worship, but i got to have a quick conversation with some of my friends in the room. I'm not calling anyone out, even if I know your story, because there's many of you who have this story. You've made a decision to follow Jesus at some point, and you just didn't get baptized. Or you got baptized before you made your decision to follow Jesus. And maybe, maybe you were kidding. Listen, I think it's a beautiful thing that, that, that families who care so much about their family, want their kids to get baptized. and do, like, I don't think there's any malice in any of that. But I just think that the scriptures invite us. This is how we understand and read the scriptures, that baptism is an act of will to align ourselves with Jesus. And if you got baptized and it wasn't an act of your will, then I would invite you every time we do a a baptism service to consider getting baptized as an act of your decision to take your faith public. Now, listen, can we just be real? We live in a culture where you have very little risk for taking your faith public. Your major risk is maybe some of your relationships will ostracize you. But there are places in the world right now, I know stories, where people get baptized and then they get executed because they took their faith publicly. And Jesus is saying, have you considered the cost? How important it is to me that you go public with your faith. And now we can get into some theological debate right here and I'm gonna win the debate in just a minute. But let me just acknowledge, there's some debate depending on your culture and where you come from and I'm okay with the debate. I'm not even saying I'm right, I'm just gonna win, okay? The debate is, so, so what does that mean? Do I? What if I got saved, I've already received the Holy Spirit, what's the point of getting baptized? And I'll say, okay, I hear you. Or I got baptized, but I never got the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if I got the Holy Spirit. Okay, I hear you. I hear there's a conversation. Or did the Holy Spirit show up like the moment I get baptized? Is it the moment I come out? Or how does that work? When's the timing? Okay, I hear you. There's some debate. I got you. There's tension there. Or um, I, I, I think that you should get baptized by sprinkling and not by pulley plunging. Okay, I got you. I hear, I hear all of what you're saying. I look at the Word of God, and my question is, where did they have this debate? There was no debate at all when Peter stood up and said, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, if you're in, then repent, get baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. It was available, it was instantaneous. I have a tension here because as a pastor, I like to teach a lot, right? It's exciting. And I used to think that you had to do like three weeks of baptism classes and like make sure everybody knows, just like premarital counseling, right? Let's make sure you know what you're getting into. And then I look at the word of God and they just don't do it that way. People hear the truth of who Jesus is and they respond and they make a decision and they say, I'm gonna repent. I was going this way, I'm gonna go this way. I'm going to move towards Jesus, and I'm so committed to it that I am going to take my faith public. I'm going in, and I'm going to take the plunge. And then the Bible says that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the story. Now we can really unpack that, but we don't have the time except for to say this. It's a gift, and God provides it as a inward and inward expression of the outward expression. He goes, you do the inward thing and make a decision for him and then he gives you the inward peace that you need and it's there to give you power and it's there to give you strength and it's there to give you confidence. It's there so to produce the fruit that God's promised. It's there to stir up gifts to to accomplish what God's called you to do. That's who he is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He says, all that's available to you. So some of you are tense because you're like, well, I didn't really do it that way. Okay, well, as I understand it, he says, repent, be baptized. Every one of you receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and the promises are for your children and for all who are far off. And it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now this is hilarious because many of you haven't been to Jerusalem. There's not like a river right there or a giant lake, right? For them to get baptized, they had to get in line and deal with some pools of water that were available that they could get baptized in. This, to baptize 3,000 people, probably took all day, right? It wasn't like the ocean was right there and they just waited out in groups of like 20 and 30 and 40 and 50. They had to line up. And can you imagine going public with your faith that way? Getting in line, pulling a number. and about three and a half hours, I'm taking the plunge, right? Ah, I see Susie up there, right? I'm glad I'm not back there with John because he's got five hours, About three and a half hours. Oh, there's a step. Like three hours and 28 more minutes and I'm getting baptized. And you imagine the traffic walking by and the people walking by. What are you doing? I heard the story. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm so excited. You can't do that. You're Jewish and you killed this guy. I don't care about that. I'm not who I was. I'm going forward. I'm a new creation. I am in Christ. I'm taking my faith public. I'm getting baptized. And they waited and they took the plunge. So, We're going to sing in a minute. I'm going to walk out this way, and I'm going to walk back in this way. And we got, I think we have five that are back here ready to get baptized. I think there's more in the room that are ready to get baptized. I got some extra T-shirts here from, like, our softball league. If you need a free T-shirt, I'll give you one. I got some extra towels. I did it at the end of service, so you can just, like, be wet and leave, and it's fine. You won't have to sit in your chair. But I'm going to invite you to stand. The Scripture says, Peter stood up. And said, repent, make a decision, an act of your will to partner with God and move away from whatever you were moving towards. Get baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, that's our heart. That's our cry. I pray for every soul in this room who's hearing that message for the first time. Today, I'm not gonna invite people to make a prayer, but I am gonna invite people to make a step. And if there's anyone in this room who's thinking, yeah, that's probably me, and I didn't wear the right thing. I don't think they were wearing the right thing. What about my cell phone? You got a friend who could carry your cell phone. But today is the day. I got baptized when I was a kid and it just wasn't my will. But, you know, I'm pretty sure that just counts. This is about taking your faith public in this moment. I just pray you'd stir hearts, you'd change hearts, and you draw us to you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen and amen.